the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, joining you here on Wednesday afternoon, Media Days in full swing, day three of the SEC, day one of the ACC. Uh, Bud, you are on site in Charlotte at ACC Media Days. We got a lot to get to. I think that the, you know, one of the things that we'll dig into for sure is new guy in the room, Jim Phillips, who I, I think that there's a lot of takeaways to, from his time at the microphone, the commissioner's forum is what they call it at the ACC. At the same time, we had Nick Saban coming the day after he made waves with the Bryce Young $1 million NIL comments. So a lot to dig into, but first and foremost, how is it to be there in person, getting to you know, have some face-to-face conversations with people that normally we're just DMing or texting or you know, getting on the phone with? Chip, man, I, we, we miss you here, buddy. We, it, it, it should let you come. Um, you know, it, it's, it's great to be back. It, like you said, there's a lot of folks who, yeah, you can text with, you can DM with, you can call them. There's just stuff they'll say over a beer, you know, mm-hmm. whether, whether that's a coach you saw last night at happy hour or, you know, media person who's in another market who like, they're not going to reach out to you to tell you something, but if you, if you recognize the face and this is, this is kind of the, the importance of, even though we both work remotely, actually getting out to events and, and maintaining you know, it's, it's source making. Right? It's an important thing that we do. The uh, one thing that I've noticed from all of these media days, and you know, I'll include the, the sec and uh, the ACC in this as well. But um, I am so much more dialed into these teams than I was one year ago. Like we weren't, we weren't talking as frequently yeah. one year <clears> ago. So I don't remember where you were and you know, the uncertainty of the season itself. I think it takes a lot of the blame for that, but man, after all of these cover three podcasts and after all of these awesome mailbags have taken us sort of into all these uh, different pockets, I'm, I'm feeling very, very dialed in and I'm excited and I'm enthusiastic in a way that when these coaches are up there talking about certain position groups, I'm like, yeah, I know you do need to find somebody to step up in that running back room. That is really important to the, how this offense is going to be successful. So I'm, I I can say that while a lot of times you can roll your eyes at media days, just being something to kill time in July, I'll I'll say that it's ignited the the spark and gotten me fired up for like win totals, which will be starting next week. I, I do get more from talking to the other media folks in these markets than I get from talking to coaches and players on the record, you know, but you also get some really good stuff from these guys off the record. So it's it's a valuable experience. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and let's start with ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips. Uh, what were – so that we've got on name, image, and likeness, he is consistently going back to being part of the group that wants to push for federal legislation in terms of uh, playoff expansion. 
it's it seems like he wants he's like pushing it on the ACC and be like, hey, you guys get your decision. All right, all y'all vote, and then I'll go take the vote to the big boys meeting to represent us all. It's a very interesting uh, leadership approach. And then um, you know, there's a on COVID. That's probably the number one headline from this. The ACC is just not going to make the same ruling right now as what the SEC or the Big 12 have done in terms of games being canceled or forfeiture. They they don't feel like they're in any rush um, of those sort of different worlds. And then you could even take it somewhere else if you got interested by the ACC network side of this and some of the distribution challenges that they have. You know, what stood out to you from his address as being really significant? You know, Chip, I, I think you hit on really all three of them uh, that, that are the most significant points. The, the, the COVID thing first uh, was interesting to me. Uh, he said that more than half of the teams have already hit their 85% threshold, uh, which is, you know, pretty notable. Um, now, of course, seven of those teams are schools that require all students to be vaccinated. So thus, it's kind of a lesser included thing there. Uh, but still, more than half means eight plus, Right. And then he also noted that several are very close. To me, he seemed much more relaxed about this than yesterday when Greg Sankey was speaking at the SEC. And he kind of, Greg Sankey was kind of like disappointed dad. Like, guys, come on, please. Like, we cannot be this low with numbers. You know, I think there's more, more teams in states that are pro- in the ACC that are probably less uh, – like, they don't view the vaccine as political. They just view it as, like, science. Go get it. You know, don't get COVID. Um, the SEC is probably more rife with some of those states. Uh, but yeah, he declined to say if it's going to be a forfeit or a cancellation or a rescheduling. He said, we don't really feel like we need to make that choice right now. Uh, and he did seem confident that they would be in a good position. It doesn't mean that there won't be some kind of team that doesn't get vaccinated. Uh, I spoke to Bubba Bolden about this, by the way, before we came on, that the Miami safety mm-hmm. who may or may not get my vote for uh, all-conference team. I think he's going to be on the very short list there for the safety spot. And I asked him, I said, what like, you guys, have you talked about this internally? And he said, yeah, like I was, I was against the vaccine initially. I didn't know enough about it. Uh, but I got my first shot recently. We've talked about it as a team, like if we want to get to where we want to go, we can't be missing games like this. And I said, what, what about the NC state thing? And he said, he thought the NC state situation where if you guys weren't following along at home and they missed the baseball, the, the, the final four of the baseball tournament because of the, uh, you know, they had too many positives on their team because they weren't vaccinated. Uh, and he basically said he thought that was political BS, but it was also something they don't want, they don't want to have to go through. So um, that's an interesting example of somebody who maybe is not super pro-vaccine, who is saying, look, man, we're trying to win a title here. We don't want to let this get in our way. Just get the shot. Yeah, no, individual freedom is is out there. And, and Jim Phillips is saying personal choice. Yes. You know, that's – but. You can also have your individual choice to all of a sudden make you, and this is like, we don't, we're not going to spend all this time on COVID protocol. Yeah, exactly. But to me, the thing that seems to matter is that if you're vaccinated, it makes you less likely to get caught up in contact tracing. And that is the thing that has to be the most frustrating for a player is I am healthy. I, I just happen to be close to a positive. And because I'm not vaccinated, the rules for my availability are stricter. Like that's, it, it, you cannot like plan your entire football season on there being no positive tests, but you can limit the impact that it has on your roster. And that I think is where uh, if I was a football player, you could, who, who was skeptical, like you mentioned, I think that's where you could sell me on it. I, I was also told that Louisville is going to get there as well. They're, they're very confident on that. I haven't heard anything about Clemson yet. Uh, Dabo Swinney doesn't speak until tomorrow. We'll, we'll see what his comments are. 
on that. But knowing that Nick Saban's team is good to go, uh, I think if you're Dabo, you have to say, hey, guys, look. Kirby came out. Alabama? Oh, listen, yeah, Kirby Smart came out, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, we're at 85%. Like, we're, we we are. We are one of the ones. Ross Dellinger's reporting, I think six teams in the SEC right now are at the 85%. Dellinger's reporting that three of them are Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Georgia. So. Do you want oh, LSU is too. Yeah. Like, do okay. you want to be like Alabama, Georgia, and LSU? Hello, college football program. <laughs> Would you like to follow <laughs> yeah. in the footsteps of whatever Alabama, Georgia, and LSU are doing? Well, uh, they have found a way to to reach the vaccination rates. Um, what else, what else from the the Phillips conversation uh, really stood out? I thought I thought he had some swagger once Q and A started. It was like a seventeen yes. minute opening statement that was very dry. But when he got going back and forth, I was I was I was impressed with the uh, the first commissioners forum for the uh, the new commish. Yeah, uh, next year he should just do like a five minute opening statement. Um, the, the opening statement was ugh, not not great for a football forum for for a league that's often criticized for you know covering and paying attention way too much to pe- the sports that people don't actually watch in, in numbers that are you know good enough to matter, uh, like lacrosse or, you know, field hockey or whatever. 14 um, of the last 20 field hockey championships. <laughs> okay. Great. YouTube.com like, let, slash cover three to get Bud's face on that one. <laughs> let, let's, let's leave Packer and Durham with that. That, okay. that, that, that sounds you get like seven, seven viewers. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was, it was really good. Like he's actually pretty engaging. He, he cracked a couple of jokes. He gave thoughtful answers. There was really only, I think one or two questions that he kind of just blew off. Cause there was an obvious answer he couldn't give. Uh, one of the major takeaways that I had uh, was that name, image, and likeness is something that he's actually, he's quite in favor of. I didn't realize that Jim Phillips was the chair uh, of the, uh, uh, the division one council um, when they passed cost of attendance. Correct. Yeah. And he, he basically compared the fear mongering over NIL to the fear-mongering over cost of attendance. And he said, now we don't even talk about it. It's just a part of the sport, and it's not something that people complain about all the time anymore. Uh, I think a lot of people don't even know what the heck it is. I think that the NIL will kind of work the same way. It just will probably take a little bit longer for it to, you know, to leave our, our consciousness. Uh, but I think he has two problems here. Number one, in the ACC, you have four states that have laws, two states which have guidance, and the other, I think, four states are just using the NCAA kind of do whatever the heck you want thing, which is creating a situation um, where some of the state laws are more permissive than the, than the NCAA guidance and even more state laws are less permissive than the guidance. And he really would like to see a conference-wide policy, but even greater than that, a national policy, because you already have schools in this league that are annoyed by what each other are able to do. Even schools within the same state, by the way, are like, wait, how the hell can they do that? Right? Like mm-hmm. our, our interpretation of this state law is different than their interpretation of this state law. So do we need to go form a booster group? It's kind of a shadow group to funnel money, like a marketing agency to funnel money to these, these businesses to pay these players. Because uh, remember, market value is not marketing value. necessarily. They're, they're not always <laughs> the same. So he has an in, like an interconference issue. He also has an intraconference issue where he is additionally worried, I think, about what other leagues are going to do. You know, he stated that uh, NIL should not be used for recruiting, which is, of course, what he's going to say, but that's also laughable. Like, of course it's used for recruiting. Why do you think Nick Saban said the Bryce Young thing yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. It's, almost like an, it's almost like an endowed position or something. You know, the, the Alabama quarterback, look, look how much he's getting. Bryce Young hasn't taken a snap yet. Uh, but he wants federal legislation on NIL, he wants antitrust protection, which get in line. I think everybody else does. 
And Chip, he also brought up an interesting line that I think all the P5 commissioners probably got together on. Uh, I don't know if you caught this or not. He said, we need to take a holistic look at the NCAA and see what it does for us, enforcement, compliance, championship administration, things like that, rules, uh, and see if it really makes sense for us. Because what's best for 351, meaning that there's 351 schools in in the league or in the NCAA, may not be best for us. And I, that's the same, kind of the same thing Sankey said yesterday, and I expect the other commissioner, I think Bowlesby said something kind of similar. Um, we may have some changes coming there where the football, the big football leagues get more autonomy. I, I think it's so, uh, that, again, that part, that answer was so revealing and not part of his statements. I mean, he just has to know that, you know, that it's going to be coming. And so he like had all the good stuff locked for the Q and a, but the, idea that he was coming out of this with the experience of like working on this division one council for all these years and then coming on the other side and being like championships that didn't go real well. Did it NCAA enforcement? I mean, come on, are we even doing that anymore? Like he came with a a laundry list of, of things that he had as criticisms for the NCAA and where this goes, it's going to be glacial, you know, like, we'll we'll see. But, um, I, I think that it was interesting that he has brought himself as a first-time commissioner of the ACC. It, he says, we are open to change. We are pushing for change. We will. These are the things we want. These are things we don't. Where sometimes it seemed like college athletics was just always, let's keep everything status quo. It seems like Phillips is on the, on the side of like, no, let's change some things. Like we're concerned about some of these changes, but he very much seems like he's, uh, he's pushing ahead. There's no doubt about it. And you remember he, he came – you know, from a Big Ten school, so he's familiar likely with what the feelings are of other athletic directors and, and other power players in, in the other leagues, especially the leagues that, that kind of matter. I, I don't think we're anywhere close to like the P5 breaking off. You know, Maybe in the long term we get to a situation where like the, the schools that want to play football, maybe that's 100, maybe that's 80, maybe it's 120, who knows. Maybe they break off in some partition that allows the Olympic sports and the other sports to still continue. Maybe you're able to fix some of the kind of the Title IX issues there if you can kind of separate that out. Who knows? Uh, but clearly, like, they're not super happy with what the NCAA is doing right now. So uh, to first chapter one, Nick Saban is giving a talk in the state of Texas at a, you know, just doing, doing the talking tour. So he's in Texas, and he, I mean, he's just reveals himself time and time again to be the recruiting king. Because what are you doing when you're there and you get asked about name, image, and likeness? Well, you use a phrase like ungodly and you also throw out seven figures indicating that some of the name, image, and likeness opportunities for freshman, I mean, excuse me, sophomore quarterback Bryce Young uh, are going to be, you know, taking it into the millions. Now, you said uh, earlier on the phone when we were talking, you actually think that that, that might actually be what his like what we're talking about here in terms of the dollar value that Bryce Young commands. I mean, I, I don't see any way a five star QB recruit is not worth a million if we're paying them their true market value. For not marketing value, right, but like value to the program. So let, let's let's just run some back of the napkin math. And I'm gonna go slow on this because I know most people don't have pen and paper with them. There was a quarterback in two thousand nine. He was a JUCO recruit. He was a five star. He allegedly turned down 190K from an SEC school to sign with another SEC school. 
let's assume for the purpose of round numbers in this hypothetical situation uh, that maybe he signed for 200K, right? Nice round number. Cool. Because he was a junior college player, you knew if he was as good as you know, paying a 200K, almost certainly you were only going to have him for one season before he goes to the NFL. Now, how much of coaching salary has risen since 2009? Uh, astronomical. More than double? I, I don't remember what the like medium was, but I know there's more above $4 million coaches than when I started covering college football back in 2009. Let's just say they roughly doubled. Okay. Right. So in, if you wanted to get that Juco recruit nowadays by the same scale and you could pay them above board, you wouldn't have to use like crypto or poker chips or, you know, putting some stacks in the collection plate through the kid's dad's church allegedly. Right. Uh, hypothetically, of course, uh, you know, that owed me 400,000 for one year. But if you're talking about a high school recruit, who's a five-star who you think can play immediately. And I am not saying this is Bryce Young. I'm just saying this is kind of my little back of the napkin market analysis here. Well, that's three years of team control, assuming things go well. So you're paying for three seasons, not just one. Now, you can say, look, man, that first year is probably not going to be as good as year three, so let's go ahead and drop that down a little bit. But still, 400 a year times three, I mean, that's 1.2. Mm-hmm. Even if we give you a little discount season, that's still a mill. And that, I don't think it's that crazy. A lot of these coordinators make over a mill, and the only sport where coordinators make more than like the top players on the team is college football because the players aren't paid. There's no NFL coordinator making more than anybody who's top half of the roster in the NFL or the pitching coach doesn't make more than any of the pitchers in baseball. I, I really don't think it's that crazy. So as he uh, then finally addressed the SEC media at SEC Media Days on uh, Wednesday, he was, you know... Able- oh, we talked about it today? Yeah, he, he was able to come okay, back right. and he was able to... Uh, you know, open up just a little bit. And I, I think that basically he's got it in a position where um, he can highlight what is very true about being the Alabama quarterback and about being a star at Alabama is that there is a local commerce that is not interested in associating itself with anything else other than Alabama football. And it's the reverse of the free agent wants to go to the big market. I, I really do think that if we're talking about sheer dollars and some of the money value that you have, I think that you can maybe make more as a quarterback in Tuscaloosa than you could in South Beach. Like I, I just think that the the Bryce Young million dollar figure makes sense to me, and and I'm happy for him. And uh, and and I wonder what Nick. I wonder if Nick Saban, as he threw that number out, if he knew that it was a great promotion for Alabama football. Yes. But I wonder if he also knew that it was going to stun some people. And he was looking forward to see some people get stunned by hearing that kind of number. I I think you you bring up a really good point there. Also, like what else are you going to sponsor in Alabama? It's not that they're not interested in other things. It's that there are no other things. Right. It's the thing. There's no pro sports. It's one of the reasons why in, and I'm sorry to go like totally selfish on this, but like in Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, try, if there's a big push, number one, to add an MLS team, number two, to add a baseball team. Those are two, there's got a lot of local support, but ultimately a lot of the dollars are already spent on state or Carolina or Duke. Like if you're living yeah. here, your number one priority is going to be whatever you're doing at one of those schools. And now you're asking to get more out of it. You are not asking someone around the state of Alabama for anything else. They've already chosen. It's either Alabama or Auburn. Exactly right. Yeah. I, 
I mean, Alabama is obviously in a fantastic place to capitalize on this. It'll be interesting to see if, if and when they roll out a Miami-style program where there's kind of a base salary for everybody. I assume that'll be coming at some point if their state law, uh, you know, or NCAA regs allows for it. But like, I can't imagine that Saban is going to sit around and see Miami say, "Hey, everybody gets 5K." if they do a couple of tweets and Instagram posts and, and not have Alabama come back with something uh, much bigger and better than that. The uh, so yeah, we mentioned uh, Nick Saban said that they're at the threshold. Kirby smart said they're at the threshold. Uh, anything else from some of the Saban comments kind of did any of it resonate to you either on Twitter or just in, in some of the conversations? I, I actually didn't see the Saban comments uh, from today. I, I was doing, doing a lot of the ACC, ACC stuff. Um, but did he say anything else interesting there? Uh, there's a listen. I, I was just about to grab it and uh, I'll, gotcha. I'll, I'll play the audio for you later. I'm going to insert it in the podcast right after I tell you this story so that the listeners okay. can hear it. But he, uh, a, a really, a, somebody who was there in attendance at SEC Media Days had, had really studied, you know, his football. Like he had really like read up on his X's and O's and he got that microphone and he was ready to get this right. You know, he was ready to have all the details right. And he said, I talked to Dave Aranda, you know, and he's saying that the future might be 12 or 13 personnel and you might be going wide zone. You know, Coach Saban, do you see the the game headed that way? Uh, and if so, like, how can you still capitalize on the vertical passing game? And Coach Saban, and it just was perfect because like the light was in his eyes. So Coach Saban's like shielding his face and he goes, what's 12 personnel? And the writer on the other side's like, oh, it's when you have two tight ends. He goes, okay, two tight ends. And how many wide receivers? And he just got like, got the writer to fall, go, go, go. And he was like, I'm just kidding. I know what 12 personnel is. Like totally like just slowly <laughs> lured him in. I'll play the audio for the listeners and, and let you take a look at it. Dave Aranda last week at Big 12 Media Day said defenses now are getting more aggressive, getting negative plays, tackles for lost stacks are more important. So he thinks that an evolution might be 12 personnel, 13 personnel wide zone. Do you kind of see that, the college game going that way, or is it still important to spread it out and hit explosives in the vertical pass game? Um, what, what, what is 12 personnel, you know? I don't, I, I, I got to get up. Two tight ends? Yes, sir. And two wide receivers or one? I, I'm just kidding. I don't know what 12 personnel is. <laughs> so. That was the only highlight I saw. And my note from this, I think I'm going to copy this take from Adam Kramer because I agree with it. Uh, follow him, Kegs and Eggs on Twitter. But he said, he was like, uh-oh, Saban's Sab- Sab- real loose. Alabama might be awesome. Like this, this might be a really good team if he's out here clowning on reporters for trying to talk about 12 personnel at SEC Media Days. It's a good moment. That, that, that's a good take. I, I like that. I, I, I think Bama will be really, really good. I mean, um, hypothetically, if Bryce Young had played a couple games like for Clemson, how much higher are we are we on this Alabama team? Like if he, if if we had seen proof positive of what he could do, the same way that we are about DJU, sure, higher for sure higher. But the, I I think it's going to be uh, the slow realization because John Mechie also was at the microphone today and he came back with you know shocker another person who's talking about how good these young Alabama wide receivers are. And John Mechie's a really, really good player, but he was talking about it like, yeah, I mean, 
I'm going to be good. I'm going to have a lot of opportunities, but do you guys understand like how good number three and number four is in this offense right now? So I, I, I think that there, uh, there's a lot of quiet confidence coming from Tuscaloosa and you're right that if Bryce Young had been out there, we would think that, how about this? Are you, we're going to have to fill out ballots for the CBS sports one thirty here in just a little bit. Is Clemson, Alabama, your one, two. I don't know if Clemson is. Bama's my one. Okay. I mean, like, so here's the thing. As a recruiting guy, I've seen Bryce and DJ a lot, even as a guy who lived in Florida, because they were at so many national events. Bryce was the more accomplished passer. He was more polished. DJ was seen as the guy with more upside, but Bryce was more polished, probably a little bit more accurate. DJ had the better physical tools. I have no reason to doubt that Bryce Young could step in and be just as good as Mac Jones was last year. Now, he doesn't have Devontae, and there's a, a fair argument to be made that some of these young receivers will take a little time to assimilate and the offensive line will almost certainly not be quite as good as it was last year. Cause that was just unreal. Um, but like, I believe in Bryce young. I like, he's that. one of the highest rated quarterbacks we've ever had. Yeah. I mean, I just, I've got a Jai Hall stock, so I would love it if Bryce Young mm-hmm. and, and him end up having a, uh, a really, really big season together. Uh, coming up on the other side, Dabo Sweeney held a Clemson-only media day for the Clemson media the day before media days. And it was a a good way for him to test some takes. So, what did we learn? Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Much love to, uh, um, as always, Anna Hickey, who brought all the great coverage from Dabo's uh, Clemson only Clemson media availability the day before media days. Um, So number one, of course, he's going to get sort of pinned down on the name image and likeness thing. And the comments from 2014, when cost of attendance was going on, he talks about paying players professionalize it. I'm not for that, but I thought it was more interesting. What's happening right there sort of around the ACC is that the Clemson players have sort of come out and saying, you know, we, we don't like the 12-team playoff. Now, Clemson's had a lot of success in the four-team era. Not that surprising. But then North Carolina also had players say something uh, earlier. And, and those sentiments have been echoed by Sam Howell during some of his time working around the room. And, you know, saying like, yeah, we had a discussion as a team. We voted. A lot of people, he said, the older guys don't want it. The younger guys think they can play forever. And us older guys are looking at them like, you don't know how you feel at the end of a season, bro. You cannot play those extra games. So do you think that we 12 teams is locked and loaded, or do you think it is an open conversation where if the sentiments continue to fall in line with what we've seen from Clemson and North Carolina, that players don't like it, 
is it just going to be a, well, you've got to deal with it? Or do you think that we start to revisit the number of 12? I think it's locked and loaded. I mean, just, mm. just l- listening to Jim Phillips' comments today, he was asked about you know, Dabo's comments and about uh, Dabo's players' comments. And he gave kind of a long, well, thank you for your feedback type answer and how we really encourage discussion amongst all, all the teams. And then he spouted off all the talking points for why we're going to go to a 12-team playoff. Like only 3% of the sport has access right now, but in, in the other NCAA sports, it's about 20%. And uh, we think that access uh, and having a real belief that you can actually win a title if you have a special year is an important thing to, to keep uh, fans engaged, keep players engaged, and all that kind of stuff. Um, ultimately, what could help uh, solve some of these issues for the players uh, is if you paid them some money. <laughs> kind of the same thing with these bowls, right? You don't want these guys to opt out of bowls, pay them. So I've, I've there's been another detail that sort of uh, come out about this where now it has been introduced that a possibility is that these games uh, prior to the quarter, these these first round games are not going to be held on campus. Uh, on campus was the initial proposal, but it is an open possibility that those games instead of being held on campus as initially pitched would actually be in other bowl games. So get ready for your college football playoff first round game at the Gator Bowl. You know, your college football playoff first round game at Camping World Stadium. Like, I thought that was very interesting because I walked away from it and I just could not believe how much energy I had wasted having conversations about the home field advantage just to have the college football playoff okie dokus and throw a freaking life preserver to the bowl season that was about to just get bowled over by a, a 12 team playoff. Uh, so I initially was like, okay, how much are these dudes paying these ADs and commissioners and assistant commissioners, all this stuff. This is crazy. Like it used to be okay. The Fiesta bowl can grease everybody. And these golf trips were a really big deal, but now ADs make a whole lot of money. I mean, some of these guys make a million plus. So it's, shouldn't be as easy to just grease them or you got to pay them a whole heck of a lot of money. Um, and I tweeted that just kind of tongue in cheek. And then I had a buddy who works for a conference and he said, eh, I think this is kind of similar to them floating 24 teams and then going to 12. This is like, Hey, there's been a lot of pushback about still involving the bulls at all. But if they talk about making all the games bulls and then they sort of settle on just the first round games being home games, it makes people more appreciative that we're getting some home games. Oh, so okay. I, yeah. So you think this was more of like the balloon that's floated to be like, now don't let, don't get too cocky with everything you're asking for fans. That's what he thought. I mean, I, I don't really have any insight yeah. beyond that. And that's just one person who's speculating. He's not actually in the room involved in the actual discussion, but that was his, his theory. I've received my tweet. Cause a lot of people are saying, you know, coaches, Remember, people within college sports are being like, yeah, well, I'm really concerned we're going to lose the bowl season. I'm really concerned about the bowl season. And you you literally would save bowls if you made them playoff games. Now, that is not the best fan experience. It would eliminate that weird, why does the top four seed not get a home game and five through eight do get one? That would eliminate that imbalance, but also create extreme pressure on these families for anybody that wants to go to every single one of these playoff games. I... I, I thought it was an interesting little sort of trial balloon. And it may be to your point, just just that, just a trial balloon sent up to see how people react to it. I mean, wouldn't that suck if you were going to play that many games away from your home stadium? Yes. We already play all these stupid neutral side games that, like how, how many times do Alabama fans want to go to Atlanta? 
I can I push back and tell you that I like neutral site games. Do you? Yes. I think that the environment, but this is all social and like person. Like I think the environment okay. created at three places, uh, hotels, restaurants, and bars in cities where their neutral site games is among the most fun social sporting experiences because you've got the different fan bases and they, they share all the same space and everyone's a paying customer. And, and there seems to be like, yeah, fight might break out, but for the most part, it's just friendly trash talk. The spirit of competitiveness kind of bleeds into hotels, restaurants, and bars. Everyone's rubbing shoulders with each other. I, I think that in, in everyone's attitude, when you're in those towns, like Bamani Jones has got a great uh, line and on the right time with Bamani Jones, he's like an out of town trip is an out of town trip. And the attitude that you bring to an out of town trip is unlike anything else that you do during the year. Like you're, you're willing to make some decisions. And so I, I like that the, the social environment around some of these neutral site games, but that's a bigger picture thing, not playoff specific. That's fair. I will say like, you know, covering Florida state, I've been to a lot of these neutral site games that they've played. But the one that really sticks out to me, the big non-conference game they played, was at Oklahoma. Mm. You know, you talk to FSU fans who went out there. It's just that you get to see and taste like a piece of actual college football and the pageantry and the bands and the lore. And you get to see how people tailgate in different regions of the stadiums. And that's one of the things that I do think makes college football special. I don't think not paying the players is is like, I don't hold not paying the players dear to my heart. Going to other stadiums, seeing their traditions and cultures and how they do, and then having them come back to you, I think is something that, that we risk uh, losing a little bit if we play all these neutral site games and then play all these playoff games at different sites. It, to me, that, um, that can be tough. You know, also, as like I, I host Nolcast. One of our sponsors is a local business. It happens to be a, a restaurant bar. And they absolutely hate neutral site games, right? It's like, wait a second, man. Like, I support all the program. I give them all this money. Like, we... Obviously, it's kind of a mutual relationship. And then you take, and it's oftentimes the game you schedule at the neutral site is the best game on the schedule or one of them. Yeah. We're seeing more on campus. We are seeing more on campus home and homes, at least, uh, you know, in the future. And that has really ramped up since the college football playoff era began. The um, Are you going to go to Syracuse, Tennessee in 2025? In Atlanta? Heck yeah. Yeah, Syracuse and Tennessee. I mean, I almost Who lost a bet to schedule that. Oh, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of two games that they have slated. You know, like yeah, they add agree. they add another one because isn't Ole Miss Louisville the second Atlanta game? It's Alabama Miami, and then there's a second Atlanta game, and I think it's Ole Miss Louisville. You got two. Oh, is that on the fast track? Yeah. Oh, that could be fun. Oh, you just go ahead and fire on that principle over. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Now the, uh, then, then I think the, uh, the undercard in Charlotte for the Duke's Mayo bowl is app state ECU. And then the, uh, the title fight is uh, Clemson, Georgia. So you got again, Clemson fans, Georgia fans, app state fans, ECU fans, all within driving distance. You know, it's there's, there's a social side of it, but your, your point uh, ultimately is uh, is right. And everything we know about like putting these college football players on planes to all these different places, is not going to get us the best physical performance. Travel is tough, but we should not just have everyone jet setting for all of these playoff games. Yeah. And their families, like, you know, one of the concerns that Urban Meyer brought up uh, was the, the difficulty of travel for the families. Right. Now the families receive a stipend to travel to, to the playoffs. The fans still don't. 
Right. Good point. Uh, any, uh, anything else on the top of mind? Uh, do you want to, do you want to get into the Dion thing at all? No, I don't want to give him any more, any more publicity. Fair. And that's the, that's the take. It's fake. I um, mean, yeah. So I am um, any, yeah. Anything else that from conversations with people or buzzing at the top of your mind right now? You know, I'm uh, I may go live on IG later, uh, as I fill out my, uh, my all AC ballot thought about it. Um, I've been working on it kind of preliminarily here and you wanna, there's a lot of, there's a lot t- of players for NC state that are like probably not going to make it, but are like just missing the cut. I think if you've got a lot of guys who are second team, all ACC, um, you can be pretty dangerous. Do you want to talk any of them out? Peyton Wilson has to be on your list. He's my LB. Peyton Wilson, no doubt. He's my LB one ahead of Servassier Dennis and Jeremiah Gimmel. I don't think it's close. Peyton Wilson is, is he's an ache. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, so do you go off the guy who was more productive last year, or do you go off the guy who you believe is a better player? Like, are, are you trying to just basically do a run back of the, the guys who were on the all ACC team last year and, and, you know, just bump them up to well, account for who left? You can't like, do that this I year. I think DJ over Sam Howell. Mm. I think DJ is a more talented player. I think he's a better player. Yeah. I'm, I'm in that. I think he'll have a better season. I don't necessarily think he has to. Okay. I think that I but think like, Sam Howell is, I guess, my question. Um, a little bit more of not how do I think you'll be by the end of the season, but it is like we're suiting up tomorrow. Who do you want? So I'm taking some projection in terms of the growth from year one to year two. I'm not just using last year's stats, but I am going Sam Howell over DJ for QB one. I'm Brian Brzee for Player of the Year, and I stand by that. I mean, like, yeah. I think he is the best player in the ACC when it comes to this game of football, but I'm Sam Howell over DJ for the, the QB one with the idea that if we're suiting up tomorrow, I'll, I'll take the guy who's got 25 starts and 68 touchdowns. That's fair. Uh, what do you do with Justin Ross? I, don't, I didn't have him on there. We're suiting up tomorrow. <laughs> would love, would be the best story, but I, I'm not going to apply all of his previous production and be like, all right, cool. You know, you are, and especially you want to know the other side of it because there's a couple of really good wide receivers. I had Jakari Robertson from Wake as my one. Yep. I had Zay Flowers from Boston College as my two and Jordan Addison from Pitt as my three. Which means you're leaving off Josh Downs and yeah. uh, what's his name? Uh, Ameze. Ameka Ameze from NC State. Yeah. And that's tough. That's a really, really good group. I think that if you're making the Justin Ross projection, that's a little bit more of like the household, the name buzz probably more than... Again, if we were suiting up tomorrow. So it, it deepens the tackle. Obviously, you got to put Brzee. Um, do you go Kalijah Kansi? Do you go Nesta Silvera? Who do you go? Tyler Davis. Okay, see? Like <laughs> Sorry. That, that, that's a pretty good – yeah. No, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good conversation to have. I think corner is, is pretty interesting as well. Like Tony Grimes is awesome last year. But like the kid for Pitt is really good. Clark mm. for Louisville is a nice choice. There's a lot of good guys out there. I had Grimes and Clark. I did have your boy Bubba Bolden as my safety one. Joey Blunt out of Virginia as my safety two. Virginia's also got another good linebacker. Jackson, right? I think he's that's yeah. another solid linebacker choice. Um, I mean, it's talents. You you sit down to to fill out the uh, the All ACC, and it's it gets a little bit tough. It does. Does the, uh, the ACC have better quarterbacks than uh, than any other conference this year? The, the tipping point is wh- whether or not you believe in the following quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett, Phil Dracovic, and, yes. and Malik Cunningham. 
no, yes, no. That's that to me is the if you think the ACC is really going to have an elite year, it's because you like Cunningham, Dracovic, and Pickett because them added on to what are a little bit more proven commodities give you about eight really solid quarterbacks. Like in the SEC, I, I kind of believe in Georgia's guys. I have a hard time discounting the idea that, that Dan Mullen always does a really good job with QBs. Um, I think JT Daniels is pretty damn good. I'm not 100% sold that he's like a no-doubt NFL guy yet. We'll see. I Where obviously you, believe in Bryce Young. What Corral about Will, is good. All right, so what about Will Rogers and Mississippi State? No. Okay. No. Connor, that, to me, that's like that's like system stuff. Yeah, Connor Bazelak? I think he's decent. Yeah. yeah. It's like, but but, like is, he, is he that much better than Kenny Pickett? No, I would take Kenny Pickett over Connor Bazelak right now. I, I'm, I, to me, there's not that big of a difference between the two. Like, they're kind of in that, like, college quarterbacks I trust more than the, the random college quarterback you throw at me, but not like a superstar level guy. Like, would you take Phil, would you take Phil Jerkovic or Bo Nix? Jerkovic. Yeah. In, but I'm also on record as saying I, I cannot discount Bo Nix because <laughs> Gus Malzahn's history with, with pocket quarterbacks is atrocious. Right. So, And I, I think Gus is actually a pretty good coach as long as he just sticks to the running QB. Hey, and get but ready like, for wing T UCF. It's going to be awesome. Do you think they'll do that this year, or do you think they're going to kind of play with what they have and recruit to what they want to be? Gabriel can move, so I think that they'll do some moving pocket stuff where he'll be able to just get the whole defense flowing and then maybe get some like toss back or some some coverage busts along the way. But I don't think that they'll go straight like Dylan Gabriel is a running quarterback who also throws from time to time. The kid they have committed, by the way, uh, FSU offered him as a running back and so did uh, Georgia Tech and I think a few other schools. And UCF wants him as a QB. I was like, that is a perfect Gus Malzahn quarterback right there. A guy who everybody else thinks is a running back. Yeah. Exactly. Nick Marshall. BCS yeah. National Who Championship was a corner. game. It was a corner. It was a corner. Yeah, it's, they, it's perfect. They almost beat Florida State with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are you looking forward to from tomorrow for, for, the, for the, uh, the Atlantic Division? It's always a weirder day to ask questions because it's like, all right, Clemson's going to – they're a minus 1,500 favorite. What, what do you want to know? Satterfield. They – did not opt to play in a bowl game after a disappointing season, and they were done with spring practice. I might be wrong in this, but I think on February 26th, they were one of the first Power 5 programs out there and to wrap up their spring, and that's a long – that is a decision that every coaching staff has on how we want to handle that turnaround, and their decision to just get right back after it and then sort of begin their offseason conditioning earlier. I am interested to hear Satterfield talk about how this – program levels out. I think that Louisville's interesting. I I think that Boston College is kind of interesting. Um I don't know what do you play any defense this year, yeah. Uh on Louisville, by the way, I, I did have drinks with a couple of Louisville guys last night. Not guys who work for the team, but guys who cover the team. Whatever. And I'll take Mark's word over uh I'll take Mark's word over anybody. Mark, Mark was there. Yeah. Yeah. I I I saw Jody today as well from from twenty four seven. Um the general sentiment is that Scott Satterfield is a damn good football coach. Right. And that they were very unlucky last year, you know, which honestly the power metrics agree with. They were what one in six in one score games, I think. Um, and that Scott Satterfield is not a good liar and is not, as it was put to me, is not a very good Jimmy Sexton style client. Right. Like he should not have traveled down to South Carolina, but he also 
his explanation for it was just not something that was going to play well in the media. And he should have just basically denied it or, you know, kind of played it a different way rather than try. Like he's a very honest guy when he tries to sort of sidestep stuff, he's not very good at it. And so it made him his like honesty, like not conniving nature made it look a little bit worse in the media than maybe it was. They're also not convinced this team is that great. Like, you know, I, I asked Mark today, like what, what range would you project for wins this year? He said, you know, between like five and eight. So, okay. I've, I was, uh, I was working on, you know, sort of getting everything sorted. And I think that Virginia, Boston college, Louisville are exactly the same rating wise, not that they're the same team, but that you throw, you, you have all them play a bunch of games against each other round Robin. It'll turn out ACC coastal style. Everyone is going to finish two and two or four and four. Like if, if you do, even if you do home and homes, I, until we get evidence on the field for me to change my, my ratings and my assessment, I don't see a huge difference between those three teams. And I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams ahead of them in terms of, it's like the top of the bottom half of the ACC is where I have Louisville. Yeah. I I think that's all pretty fair. Each of those teams in my mind have a unique question. Can UVA run the ball and create some explosive plays and how is their pass rush now with, with the graduation of um, – oh, help me out here. Is it uh, not Eli Harold? Was that a couple years ago? Oh, yeah, Charles Snowden. Uh, Snowden. Yeah. You know, like, like he was, he was a, a big pass rush guy for them. With Louisville, it's can they create explosive plays without Fitzpatrick and without Atwell. Mm-hmm. Those are huge losses. And last year that team uh, – Oh, no, Hawkins all, very, too. Hawkins right, being out of that is tough. I think the running back is one of my biggest questions for the Cardinals. They were very unlucky last year in close games, but they also were overly reliant on explosive plays. And without those guys, how consistent can Lee Cunningham be at throwing, you know, throwing the ball? Because they probably won't hit quite as many home runs this year. Mm-hmm. Can they hit some singles and doubles? You know, for Boston College, their run game last year was poor. Mm-hmm. Like they used to be a great running team, and I thought their run efficiency would go up because they'd be running it less often, right? And they'd be okay. Like the box wouldn't be quite as loaded. Maybe their run efficiency would go up. It didn't. Their run game was just flat out bad, or not bad. Uh, it dropped off. It was, it was a clear, both in terms of total output and on like a per run basis, it was not very good. I'm interested to see how they run the football because that's a really good offensive line. Um, and also last year, their defense just bad. There was no defense. Like, will they play any defense? This is two years in a row now. They just have not, they haven't gotten the stops. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. Be sure you follow Bud Elliott on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. By the time you get this podcast, he may or may not have done the Instagram live, but is it Bud Elliott three on Instagram as well? Uh, no, uh, Twitter. My, my Instagram is, is, uh, is, is kind of just for me. Okay. I, I need to get a business Instagram, I guess. Oh, so, but. so the, you're going to go on Instagram live for like your real friends and be like, Hey guys. Oh no, no, no. I, 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 I guess what I meant to say was, I don't know if I should do it on cover three or if I should do it on, maybe I'll do it on the cover three Twitter. Okay. Go Twitter. Go 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 Twitter live and and fill out the uh, the all ACC um, yeah. all ACC ballot. Should be fun. Let me know who who would you can you do DJ for Player of the Year? I don't know. Maybe him. It's it's got to be somebody on a contending team, right? Unless you just got somebody like a uh, uh, Andre Williams from would, Boston College. You know, runs sure or the D, the D tackle from Pitt, uh, who, who's Aaron Donald for the Rams now. Yeah, yeah. I am bad with names today, Chip. This is. Aaron, Aaron Donald has a relative who's on the pit team now. I think he's going to be a freshman in yep. Elliott. And Pat says he's, he's tough. 
Pat's excited about him. I saw Pat last night. Yeah, he's uh, he's one of a kind. We love him. All right, bud. Follow him on Twitter at ByElliot3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. See you, man. Have you filled out your team yet? Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.